Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning. Good to be with you online this morning, whether you're watching live right now this second or watching it later on this week. Glad to have you with us virtually. Uh, my name is Wes, associate pastor here at North, privileged to be on staff here. And uh, it's good to be with you worshiping this morning. And so um, I have been at North for 18 years or so. And so literally this week marks 18 years that our family has been a part of North. And so I actually got married two weeks before that. So in Ohio, got married, went on a honeymoon, and literally packed up the truck and drove across the country and been here for for 18 years, marked uh, this week. And so there's been some changes that have happened over the years. Actually, the stage, uh, when we first came from Horizon High School for a year, then we first came here, the stage was on that side of the room, and it was just this long, long corridor of a worship center that faced that direction. And actually, that wall right there wasn't even there. So the separation between this and the cafe didn't exist. And so just a lot of changes over the last 18 years. Several years ago, we had rehearsals and classes and student ministry and different things that were happening on Wednesday night, and we actually gave away free Chick-fil-A before all of those classes. We need to bring that back, right? Free Chick-fil-A every week. Uh, it costs a little bit of money, but uh, we did that for a while. You know, I've, I've literally launched pumpkins off of the roof here at North. I've dressed as a whoopee cushion for a Halloween event. Um, I've, I've, I've even... Um, uh, uh, where was I here? Oh, I've even danced with staff to the song Thriller on stage. Over the years, we've seen a lot of things. I've even seen Larry Anderson come in this room on a Harley Davidson. Uh, he has called a square dance before, and Jay has even preached in purple pants before. <laughs> These aren't purple. This is maroon, like a strong wine color is what these... These pants are. I got you. I got you, Jay. But so there's been several things that have happened over the last 18 years, and I kind of thought that I was at a point where like nothing would surprise me anymore. But the other day, I was surprised. A few weeks ago, I come in from the cafe, walk into the office, and Jay's standing there. But I think it was Sharon and Krista, and he goes, "Hey, Wes. Guess what our next series is going to be here at church?" I was like, "I don't know." He's like, "Revelation." And I was surprised. I was like, are you, are you, are you serious? We're going we're gonna to teach on Revelation. He said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to study the book of Revelation. And to be honest, at first, I was not excited. Uh, I've been confused by the book over the years. Uh, all these images kind of flood my, my mind when I hear Revelation or the book of Revelation. Images that I don't understand or confused by or even a little scared of when I think of the book of Revelation. I actually googled the book of Revelation for images, and these weren't the first three, but they were at the top of the page of images that came up when I googled book of Revelation. Here's the, here's the first one here. You know, you got a Jurassic Park T-Rex kind of vibe going with some person riding on top of the Yeah, I don't know. And then this next one here was right at the top. Um, You know, you got this scary guy with like a reaping 
hook or something like that that'll give you nightmares. And then uh, this last one here was just like, you know, you got the Bible and some sort of human stew or something. And so, the, so see, these are kind of some of the images that come to my mind when I think of the book of, of Revelation. And so, like I said, I wasn't super excited about it. But as Jay and I and our staff were processing how we were going to approach the book of Revelation, I started to get excited. And then I got more excited. And, then if, and I've heard from several of you, after the last couple weeks that Jay has taught, people are, are bought in. Like They're excited to be a part of going through the book of Revelation. And so uh, I'm excited to share with you this morning. We're going to look at Revelation 2. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into review and then our passage for today. I've got to thank you that you have revealed yourself to us um, through your Son as well as through your Word, your Holy Spirit. And so as we open up the Word today, Revelation 2, in that revealed uh, piece of, of who you are, we pray that it just uh, speaks to each of us individually as well as the church. In your name, amen. So to review, if you haven't heard this sermon yet or you just, you know, kind of get, getting you caught up to where we've come from so far, John, the disciple, uh, writes this book. And, and John has been exiled to the island of Patmos because of his faith in Jesus. And that's where he writes this book from. Jesus actually comes to John and he says to John, if you can imagine this, Jesus coming up to you and speaking to you, comes to John and says, write down these words. Write down these words for the book of Revelation. Now, these were written to the seven churches in Asia about 2,000 years ago, and they were known as the religious cities of, of Rome. Rome was to be worshipped. The leaders of Rome were to be worshipped. The message of Jesus went completely counter cultural to religion, government, power, money systems, and Rome itself. Now, God communicated uh, this book in three forms, Jesus to John in three forms. There's the letter form that is sent to God's people to encourage and to challenge. The apocalyptic form, which literally means to reveal or to unveil the truth, not just for futuristic events, but to reveal truth about what was going on in that moment and in that time. And then there's the prophetic form, not just about predictions of the future, but as a function of how we are to worship today, given what God is saying to us. And Revelation, believe it or not, is designed to be a blessing. And Jesus is the point of Revelation. Jesus is the main character. And I heard a great question this last week. Someone said, so if, if you, hearing the book Revelation, and you were to make a list of all the things that come to your mind, how, how many things would be on your list before you got to Jesus Christ? How many, how many things would be on your list? And what we, what we are doing is focusing on the historical context and that, the, that Jesus is the main character of Revelation. We can't read it without seeing it through that lens. And as we peek behind the curtain, as we kind of unveil what Revelation is showing us, we see that Jesus is referenced 20 times in just the first chapter of Revelation. It is about Jesus' gospel, his grace, his peace, and because of that, then we get to respond with faith and worship. Now, there's almost, there's a little bit more than 400 verses in the book of Revelation. 
and 278 of them are connected somewhere else in Scripture. So what that tells us is that the book of Revelation is a culmination of all of God's story, all of God's words, and is literally the final chapter. And today we're looking at Revelation 2. It's Jesus' words to the the first four of the seven churches. Now, Revelation 3 is the last three of the seven churches. Today is the first four of the letters to the seven churches. Here's a map to help you visualize where these churches were and then the order in which we are going to hear. So we're going to go one, two, three, and four, Ephesus, Smyrna, um, Pergamum, and then Thyatira. And so this would have been, as Romans would have docked along the the coastline there, this is the road that they would have taken to Jerusalem, or otherwise called the Roman road. And so Jerusalem would be down down here on the far right side of the map, and that this is, this is the direction that they would go, and this is the order in which Jesus addresses the seven churches. So before we read these verses, I want you to pay attention to kind of a method or the rhythm in which Jesus communicates to each of these churches. He essentially does the same thing for all of the churches. He describes himself. He, he says he, he defines himself specifically to each church in a different way. So there's a description of Jesus, and then there's a commendation or a compliment that Jesus gives the churches. So he gives, he says a description of himself, and then he gives a compliment, or basically encourages them in some of the ways that they are living. And then he gives a condemnation, or ways that that Jesus knows that they are being distracted or pushed away from the gospel and away from the church. And then he gives a warning. He gives a challenge. He says, if, if you continue down this path, these are the consequences that you will face. And he also gives a promise or a reward. If you, if you turn to him and you live according to his ways, this is what the reward will be. This is my promise to you. And then he ends every one of them with a charge to listen to the Holy Spirit. Those who have ears to hear, let them listen. And you're going to see this pattern all throughout all of the letters to the seven churches. I don't know if you've heard of um, Joseph Hayden. Raise your hand if you've heard of the composer, uh, conductor Joseph Hayden. Okay, so Joseph Hayden has this symphony called number 94. I don't know how many symphonies he did or if this was actually his 94th or what, but it's also called the Surprise Symphony. And he writes, he writes this symphony, and he's, he's going around the world, and he's conducting, and the orchestras are playing. A lot of them are kind of soft, melodic music. They're beautiful. It's a symphony. But he noticed that the people, some of the people who were listening were falling asleep. And so he writes into symphony number 94 this surprise, where the music is melodic and slow, and then boom, it all hits and it's loud, and it's fast, and it's upbeat, and it completely does not match the rest of what had happened in the symphony. And literally, people were, would startle. He was in a, a, the first time he did this was in London, and the people, whoa, you know, what just happened? And the people were awakened, and, you know, they're, they're going crazy. And, and so that, that's what, kind of a, a picture that I, I see here, that this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's speaking words to each of these churches because they've kind of lulled themselves to sleep. And he's saying, wake up. This is going to be something new. Pay attention to my words. So let's be paying attention to the description of Jesus, the commendation, condemnation, warning, promise, 
and Holy Spirit as we look at Revelation 2 together. Now, I've asked four students uh, to read this passage for us, and so the words are going to be on the screen, and then these four students are going to give us uh, Revelation 2. Show your appreciation to the students for, for reading that. I love, all, I love all the students, but that last one there I'm a little partial towards. Isn't he a handsome guy? He looks a lot like his dad. He, he's got hair, though. That's true. So uh, I, I, I got a little emotional this week as I had these students send in, this, send in these passages because it was just... It was important, it was significant to me thinking about these students in their room reading the Word of God together and then getting a chance to share that with you this morning. And so um, love encouraging our, our folks to get in, get in the Word of God together. So like we said, each of these letters, and, and you saw this, we're going we're gonna to go through each of these, these churches. And I have a, a chart for each of these churches that kind of breaks down kind of my own wording uh, a little bit, breaks down what Jesus says to each of these churches. So let's start with Ephesus, and uh, this is verses 1 through 7. Jesus refers to himself as holding seven stars and walking along seven lampstands. So what does this mean? When Jesus says he's holding the seven stars, these seven stars are the, the angels or mess, messengers to the church, and he, he is saying that he embodies that angel. He embodies that messenger to those churches. He is the power that comes before them. And then he's walking alongside seven lampstands, which essentially represent the seven churches who are to give light to the rest of the world. So he's not only saying, I carry all the power as this messenger, but at the same time, I am walking alongside you. I'm walking alongside the churches, and he stands with them. The commendation or compliment that Jesus gives is to their work and their endurance their avoidance of evil and suffering for the cause and they, as they oppose the evil work that's going on around them. He gives them a compliment in that way. The warning was to repent and do as they were doing before or the lampstand would be removed. In other words, if they weren't following as Jesus wanted them to follow, their light would diminish and they wouldn't have the influence that he wanted them to have. The promise a reward that Jesus gives is they would eat from the tree of life, or essentially they would flourish under, under submission to Jesus. They would flourish and not find those hard times. And he ends with the call to heed the Holy Spirit and to listen to his words. Now, I believe that the hopeful message to the church in Ephesus was that, was that they know what it means to walk with Jesus. He basically says, hey, you have done this before. You know what it's like to walk with me. Come back to me and continue living in, in according to my will and my, my church, uh, the way he wants them to live. And then they will have influence over all the nations. So if we read that in context for us today, Jesus is telling you, hey, if you have once faithfully served me, once faithfully submitted to me, come back. You've, you've wandered astray Come back to your initial love in me. I remember a message like this when I was in high school. Um, I was saved at age six. I was at a children's camp and went forward. I knew that I was a sinner and needed to, to be saved from Jesus, repent of my sins. And then from six to heading towards 16, I was wandering, if you will. I had 
you know, started lying to my parents and other people. I was watching things that were inappropriate for my mind to even think about, and they were harmful to myself. I was cheating on tests in school. And Jesus kind of called me back, and he said, hey, remember that initial commitment to me? Remember that when you said you were going to give me everything? Come, come back to that. You already know what that's like. You already know what it means to submit and walk in me. And so that's what Jesus is doing in the church of Ephesus. He's saying, hey, come back to your initial love. Come back to me. Uh, verses 8 through 11, the church in Smyrna. Jesus refers to himself as the first and the last, and that he lives forever, and that he is the one who conquers death. Now, the, the commendation or compliment that he gives is to their strength amid their affliction, their poverty, and their slander that was brought on by the Jews, who were part of Rome's religious system in some way. So Rome had power, authority, they were to be worshipped, and they, but they kind of worked alongside the Jews. The Jews and their religion was kind of ex acceptable because they kind of melded it all together in a lot of ways. And so they kind of flew underneath the radar, but these Jews were literally persecuting the Christians. They were saying, they were lying about them, they were slandering them, and they were keeping them in poverty. And what, what Jesus says to them is, hey, you, you, are, you are under this affliction, stay strong in me, rely on me in the middle of that. Jesus doesn't give a condemnation to Smyrna, but he gives a warning. He says not to fear suffering and that affliction is going to continue and it may continue unto death. The promise or reward that he gives them is that they would receive the crown of life and escape the second death, which means that they will receive heaven as their reward. So what was going on is they were being persecuted, and he's basically calling them back to himself and saying, it is worth it to follow me, even though you have been suffering, you are suffering now, and you might suffer even unto death, but I'm going to give you the crown of life. You will be with me and have riches in heaven if you follow me. That will be your reward. And it ends with this call to heed the Holy Spirit, and he who has uh, ears to listen, let them, let them hear. And so I believe the hopeful message to Smyrna is that even though that they were facing suffering and they were going to continue to face suffering, he says, I am the first and I am the last. I have a plan. Trust in that, and that will be worth it along the way. He says, hey, Smyrna, I got this. Stay strong, and it's going to be worth it. Now, I believe I've heard several of these messages over the last year and a half or so, and maybe you have as well, amid chaos, amid, you know, struggles, sufferings, persecutions, uh, hardships as individuals, as families, as a church, as a nation around the world. Jesus is saying to us, I believe, stay strong, it's worth it. You will receive the crown of life because I am the first and I am the last. To the church in Pergamum, verses 12 through 17, Jesus refers to himself as having a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And what the, the hearers of, of these words or the readers of this letter, they would completely recognize exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Because the, the word for sword that he uses there is actually the Roman sword that these people would have seen or heard about the Romans destroying, literally destroying other civilizations, maybe their family members. 
And so this word that he uses for sword here is literally for destruction. Now, it's a different kind of destruction than what the Romans used it for. The destruction uh, speaking of here is that God's words will pierce through anything and literally destroy all that is not right and just. That his words will pierce through and destroy all that is against him. And they would find comfort in that. That would be empowering for the church in Pergamum. Because the commendation or compliment Jesus gives is that some were resisting temptation when the pressures of evil were real and powerful. And the condemnation Jesus gives is against those who are giving in to the idolatry of eating food dedicated to idols as well as sexual sin. So what was going on in Pergamon was this. All the power, all the social structures, all the culture, all the religion were wrapped up in these, this idol worship. And that is where food was. That is where you sought pleasure. That is where that immorality, that sexual immorality existed. It ra was wrapped up all in this worship. And over here, if you weren't a part of that, it was literally hard to find food. It was literally a temptation not just to participate in what everyone else was doing, what the pressure was doing, but literally to eat food. And so as, as a part of that worship, the, you would receive food. And so why, why would that be such a big deal? Why would it be a big deal to eat food that was dedicated to idols? Well, I, I don't really care about that idol. I just need to eat food, so why would it matter? What matters because in that culture, as you ate food, you identified with that idol. You identified with that power or social structure, and you basically said to everyone else, I am identified with this idol, with this religion. Similar to what we just did with communion. We just ate and drank and, rep and, and remembered who Christ was as we identified with Jesus, and Jesus identifies with us as his church. So participating in these, these rituals with this food, with this sexual immorality, says, I identify with all of these things and not with Jesus. The warning was to repent of those sins, giving in to that temptation and participating in those things. The promise or reward was that they would receive hidden manna, or basically food that they were not aware of. Jesus is telling the church in Pergamum, hey, you don't need to rely on their food. I will provide for you hidden manna. Essentially, you don't see where the food's going to come from. You're not in control of it, but I will provide that for you. And he also says a, a, a promise that he will they would give them a white stone with a new name on it. And this would have represented identity. Their identity would have been a white stone with Rome's name on it. And he says, I'm going to give you a new stone with a new name on it, and that name is Jesus. And he ends with this call to heed the Holy Spirit and listen to those words. I believe the hopeful message to Pergamum was that because of how powerful Jesus was and is, that he will fight for them. And that they didn't need to give in to the temptations to participate in all the things that they were told they needed to participate in. That was the easy thing to participate in. Jesus essentially says, I got it under control. You don't need to take it into your own hands and fix the problems yourself. I got it under control. And I experienced that a few years ago when my wife and I were considering foster care and adoption. 
and I knew that kids needed families to, to live, live in, but I had a lot of questions, concerns, fears around that for my own, my own life, bringing kids into our home. Uh, I, was, I was fearful for what that would do to my family, what would do to my household, myself. I like watching ESPN. Is it going to take away from that? And basically, Jesus said to me, I, it's, I got it. You don't need to take control of your family. I will be in control of your family. Hand that over. And I can't imagine a life without Eric and Joseph uh, to this day. Jesus did have it when we submitted to him. Uh, to the church in Thyatira, verses 18 through 29, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God, which this phrase was reserved for Rome. This phrase was reserved for the leaders of Rome. And then Jesus calls himself the Son of God. And he says that his eyes are like fire and that his feet are like bronze or brass, which was to say that he sees all and he knows all. When I, when I hear the phrase, Jesus knows all, sees all, part of me gets a little fearful of that at times because he knows everything. But part of me is really comforted in the fact that he, because he knows everything, he knows what is good for me and for the people around me and for his church. The commendation or compliment Jesus gives is to say that their faithful service to God and others was powerful and it was strong. Thyatira had huge influence on Rome, had huge influence on the nations during this time. The condemnation Jesus gives is similar to Pergamum, where they had these religious experiences where food was plentiful and there were pleasures that you could experience, but Thyatira had gone even a little further, and they were not only participating in, you know, some of the people participating in those things, but they were also listening to the teaching. They were taking the teaching in, not so much as a survival technique or to experience these pleasures, but they were actually going, you know, taking that teaching into their head and into their heart, and, and Jesus calls that out. The warning was to repent of their sins, of idolatry and pleasure and sexual immorality, or that death would come upon them. The promise or the reward was that Jesus would give them authority and influence over the nations. And he calls himself the morning star that he would guide them along the way. He ends with this call to heed the Holy Spirit and listen to these words. I believe the hopeful message to Thyatira was that they had great power and potential to reach the nations as long as they repented and allowed Jesus to lead them. Now, I believe I heard that call around age 16 uh, at a summer camp, again at camp. I felt like God called me into the ministry. So from 16 on, I knew that that's what he was calling me to do. But I knew it would be costly. I knew that it would be a struggle at times. But I also knew that Jesus would be the morning star, that he was the Son of God, and he was calling me into something. And like Thyatira here, there was great potential for influence of other people if they submitted to Jesus. And it's just like you and, and your life with the Lord, right? There, there is potential and there's impact. You don't know about all the impact, but there's impact that you literally have on other people and this world through your faith in Jesus. And that's what he's calling Thyatira to here. So we covered a lot of ground, got your charts up there, visual aids for us. 
And these are the words of Jesus to the first four of the seven churches. I want to leave us with a, a challenge to consider today. If the main character of Revelation is Jesus, and his words are to be important to us, and we are to listen to those, I believe if you, if you take on this challenge, it will be ridiculously powerful for you as an individual and us for a church. So here's what I want you to do. And I, I believe the Lord will get glory if, if we do this. I literally want you to write out a letter to yourself as if Jesus was writing you a letter. Now, this, this isn't going to be Scripture. We're not adding to Scripture. But it is a way for us to process what the Holy Spirit may want to say to us. And if Jesus were to write you as an individual a letter, how would he describe himself to you? What promises would he make you? What warnings would he give you? What condemnation would come upon you in conviction? What would be his compliment and encouragement to you? How would he want you to listen and hear his words? So I want you to find a spot, home, coffee shop, wherever, get out a piece of paper or a journal or your notes app on your phone and pray and ask God and just say, hey, what, would, what letter would you write me right now? And then I want you to share that with someone, family member, a friend, and talk about what that would mean and put it into practice. Apply those things to your life. And then if you want extra credit from God, and who doesn't love extra credit, do the same thing for our church here at North. If Jesus were to write North a letter describing himself, promises, condemnation, warnings, what would he say to our church here at North? And if you want further God credit, you could do this for our nation. What, what would Jesus say if he wrote a letter to the United States right now? How would he describe himself? What warnings would he give? What promises would he make? In a moment, we're going to worship again. And, and if you don't know, there's a reason that we worship after the sermon. It's because we're called to respond to God's word and his spirit and what he may be saying to us. So as we worship, let's consider what Jesus may want to say to us as individuals, a church, and the world, and let's faithfully worship him. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Here, got it? The prayer partner's over here. You can submit your prayer request uh, as you leave today. Um, it's good to be with you, opening up God's Word. You know, uh, the joke with my wife these days is every time I play basketball, I airball at least one of my shots. So every time I come in the door, hey, did you airball a shot? Yes, I airballed a shot. How many? Three. She laughs at me. I used to be a good basketball player, though. In high school, I played, played basketball, played on a great, great team for a great coach. He ended up winning seven state championships, of which I was able to be a part of one of those. But my coach would get after us. Like, he, I didn't want to go to practice because I knew he was going to challenge us, push us forward. And because and, he had a plan, a vision, he knew where he wanted to take us. 
along the way. And he used to tell us, if I am not yelling at you and challenging you and pushing you, I've given up on you. That means I don't believe that you can go further. And that's what, in a weird way, that's what Jesus is doing. He believes in us, and so he continues to speak and reveal new things to us because he sees the plan. He knows where he wants to take us. So as we look at Revelation as the Jesus as the main character and what the words that he would say to us, let's, let's open up our hearts and minds to what he wants for us because he has that plan and a future for us. So love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.